chapter 13, as um, we have a, a lot before us today, 13 verses we want to examine. Thank you, Dan, for leading us. And that is our prayer, that we would be in worship. Karen, it is great to have you home. We were going to send out a search party for you after a while. Welcome back. Mike, thank you for uh, singing. Um, and the reminder that we are to be found faithful. I thought about that one line. It struck me. It says that, that one day our kids will be sifting through our stuff. I, I have to be honest, um, for my own family, I'm sorry, okay? <laughs> There's a lot of old baseballs. There's a lot of just rocks. Like, they were special to me, okay? Just so that you remember that. Like, great, another rock. It meant something at the moment. I love rocks. We keep piles of rocks as reminders all over the place, uh, just so that you know. Think about that. Our kids are sifting through your junk. I tell you what, more than handing anything of, of, of earthly treasures, give them an example of what Christ looked like and what Christ lived like. That is a humbling, humbling prayer. We need to pray. There's a lot here. We have a lot of work to do, a lot to unpack uh, this morning. Welcome, every one of you. It is an amazing, a beautiful day. Some of you I met for the very first time. Uh, Welcome to Big Woods. Um, Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, we do come into your presence um, in the name and through the work um, and because of your son, the Messiah, Jesus, and what what he did on the cross. Father, I would ask right now that you, um, as you are here with us, you know our minds, you know our hearts. Uh, Lord, and we need to hear from you. May you speak. Lord, I I just, um, we want to thank you for this church that has stood now for over three decades uh, upon the foundation of the word of God. I pray, Lord, that you... Uh, would continue in your grace to allow us to be faithful. I thank you, Lord, that that this church, in all honesty, it's not really fancy or flashy, but, Lord, I believe it's real. Um, help us, Lord, to live life alongside of one another and to see others before we see ourselves and that together we would see you. Um, we love you. We thank you for rescuing us from our own sinful state. Um, God, please be with me now as I seek to uh, preach um, your word, teach truth, and may you be glorified. May you accept this as an offering of our hearts. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, we are back now to the Gospel of Mark. I think you know we've been involved in this little series, what I call Mark for a mission for quite some time. Took a little bit of a break, we're back to it. And I, and I was really checking um, through this series, just so that you are aware, babies um, have been born, uh, students have graduated, uh, couples have been married, people have lived lives. In all honesty, some people have even died during this series. But we press on, just so that you know that. We have been following very carefully in the footsteps of Jesus, uh, learning about his life, his, his ministry. Um, he has been teaching truth. He has been fulfilling 
prophecy. He has been rattling the cages of the religious right the entire time. Why? Because Jesus is not concerned about the outward appearance of religion. He's concerned about hearts and souls. He's concerned about relationships and with people. Now we know that this is what? This, this is the, the final moments of Passion Week. Um, we know that on Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on this lowly donkey. People were shouting Hosanna and were bowing down. On Friday, they will, they will, they will be shouting, crucify him, kill him. Now, this is the last day of his public ministry. What we read here in Mark chapter 13 is also recorded in Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25, Luke chapter 21. They all deal with the same subject. Ask anyone at any time at any age, if you could study anything in the Bible, what do you want to study? What do you, what do you want to learn about? And we get this answer all the time. Pastor Stewart just asked the students recently, if you could study anywhere in Scripture, what do you want to learn? And you hear this, we want to learn about the end time. What's next? Well, we get a little bit of a glimpse today of the end times. Now, this text is not one of incredible detail like Daniel 9 or 11 and and, and chapter 12 or Revelation 6 through 18. There's no seven seals here. There's no seven bowls. There's no seven trumpets. This is more of a high level, what I call need to know. You need to know this. Now, every single day we wake up and we are once again reminded every day the world that we live in is a dangerous place. Every day there's, there's yet one more record of, of more shootings, massive shootings and bombings and even stabbings. And now people are using their cars just to, to, to careen into crowds of people. This is commonplace for us. We see a global war of terrorism that is spreading quickly, rapidly all over. And if that's not enough, then there's a constant threat of what? There's an next disease or sickness that is looming Or maybe there's a storm, a a pop-up hurricane or tornado that could take you out at any minute. Now, if you are at all a student of the Bible, if you have studied and, and learned anything, you know that every single detail, every story is known to God. Chaos around us, and yet what is interesting is what? The sun is shining outside. At some level, we still live in a sense of bliss, blessing. It seems like hell is breaking loose, and yet we still enjoy God's grace. He's given to us one more day, and God's goodness surrounds us, all around us. Today in our text, we get a picture of what I call history to come. It is prophetic. It is predictive. Jesus describes the last days before establishing a lasting kingdom. And I want you to be certain, I want you to be sure that this is shocking and this can be scary. It certainly was for the disciples. Now think about the disciples, those closest to Jesus. He has been teaching them. He's been pouring into them. They have certainly been anticipating the kingdom of God being established. Thankfully, they know at this time they believe that Jesus truly is the Messiah. Their king, the king, has arrived. 
the long-awaited promised Messiah. But the establishing of his kingdom is not going to come as perhaps some would expect or even anticipate. The birthing of the kingdom of God will not come without birth pangs or birth pains. You ever been in labor before? Men, no. But we, we usually, we hear something like this. Like, you ever been in labor? No, but I, I had a high ankle sprain one time and it was bad. You try to talk to a lady about that comparison. Okay? I have never, shock, I've never been in labor. But I tell you what, I have witnessed it. Twice. And I didn't, like, I didn't do real good. I was, like, outside the door, like... How's everything going? Get you a pizza? I actually, I actually, no joke, Wendy will not remember this. I actually offered her, could I get you a bucket of fried chicken? No. The ushering in, the birthing of the kingdom is going to come with birth pains. Great pain, travail, and even terror. I stand before you this morning upon the authority of God's word. And and I want to tell you this. God is still, always was, and always will be in complete control. Remember, all authority. Every star. Did you see the stars last night? Did you see the sunset last night? Every sunrise, sunset, every grain of sand. You warm your feet in when you sit on the beach and drink a cold iced tea. Every speck of dust is under God's control. All authority has been given. So when we consider history to come, you can look at it with a sense of hope. I know. I I know the one who has it all planned. Or if you reject Christ, you will look at and you will listen to those things happen around us, as many do, and what live not in a state of hope, but a state of horror. The choice is yours. You can live in complete peace or absolute panic. Here it is. Mark chapter 13, verse 1. We pick it up. We'll read down through verse 13. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Jesus said to him, do do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all of these things are about to be accomplished? Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do do, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. 
And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. When they, and when they bring you to trial and they deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. The brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father is child, and children will rise against parents and, and have them be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Okay, let's, let's get the setting here. I said there's a lot of work to do this morning. You're with me. Get the setting straight. Jesus has just walked out of the temple and it is an impressive building. Everyone admires the beauty, the stunning beauty of this building. And, and the disciples, one of them comment, amazing. And Jesus makes very clear, he says, just to let you know, there will not be left here one stone upon a, another. All of this, all of the beauty that you see here, it will all be gone. You're like, wait a minute. Now, up to this minute, everything has been moving rapidly. Everything has been moving very quickly. The disciples very much expected the kingdom of God to be established. And people, if you remember, Jesus just rode into Jerusalem and everyone's bowing down. Here, have my coat. And they lay palm branches. Hosanna. He's the king. And so everyone recognizes him as king. Or so you think. I read this week. It's, it's like at that moment that someone hit the pause button. And today we are still on pause. We're waiting, in a sense, for that next event. They, they move from what the temple outside to the, to the Mount of Olives. It's just east of the city of Jerusalem, and there's an amazing view of the Temple Mount. Perhaps they sit under an olive tree with those that are closest to Jesus, Peter, Andrew, uh, brothers, James and John, brothers. And the entire chapter of Mark chapter 13, all 36 verses, stems from two questions that were asked by those that are closest to Jesus. They asked this question, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all of these things will be accomplished? Now, I don't know about you, but they kind of seem like good questions. You ever traveled long distances in a car with a child? And they, they, they ask or they say something like this, are we there yet? Or you hear this, how much longer until we are there? Basically, these four are riding in the back seat saying, I think it's a good question. Dad's and mom's, you got to give them an answer. Jesus, like any caring shepherd, like any loving teacher, Concern for his students begins to carefully explain, again, high level of what's going to happen. And he leaves three pieces of instruction or advice that are of utmost importance, major importance. Not only Jesus speaking to those disciples, but the Spirit of God speaking through the Word of God to you and to me this morning. Here's the three pieces. Number one, it says in the first part of verse five, see that no one leads you astray. Or what I call be wise. There is a, there, there is a need right now, right now, this very minute, 
for the church of God, for followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to have more wisdom in this moment, in this day, every day when we're greeted with yet one more more story of terror. There is a need for us to be wise. Another translation says, take heed, be alert, that no one deceives you. Jesus is saying, Jesus is speaking, he says, there's going to be a time between my first coming, a humble babe in a manger, and my second coming, the judge in absolute force, power, might, and authority. And the time in between is going to be marked by trouble and marked by trials. Now, what's interesting here is that many details that Jesus explains in verses 5 through 13 that Jesus said would be true, I want want you to hear me on this, are going to be exactly and precisely true, just as he said. Well, how do we know that? He begins and he gives to us a type or an example. They're walking out of the temple. Amazing. People have worshipped in this temple. The presence of God represents the presence of God. And Jesus says, yeah, there's not going to be one stone left here. Do you realize that it was about 30, 33 A.D. that Jesus is speaking? By 70 A.D., that temple was completely destroyed. And what's interesting, people don't realize, is that that what? The block and the brick of that temple was completely overlaid in solid gold. So when that temple was burned by the Romans... And the gold melted, it melted down into every single crack and crevice of every single brick and every single block. What people don't realize is that the Roman Empire's 10th legion actually took Jewish captives and forced them to work to dig through this burned down building and literally take every single brick separate from the other and scrape gold off so that not one piece was missed. Do you realize the fulfillment is in perfect detail? There was so much gold that was retrieved after the destruction of the temple that literally the price of that precious metal went down to half, half its value from pre-war from the start of that war. What does this tell us? We can have confidence. And that's just, that's just the first. That's the type. The destruction of the temple serves as a type of the last judgment. So when Jesus says this is what's going to happen, he actually proves that this is going to be exactly like it happens. Thus the importance for you and I to be wise. It says that there will be many people who claim to be followers of Jesus. Many. Some perhaps even sitting in this room at this very moment. And it says what? That they will be lied to or they will will easily fall prey to false teachers. Notice it says what? Listen to what it says. Many, not, not a few, many will come in my name claiming to be what the Messiah, and it talks about the fact that many are going to be misled by this. Jesus is not just speaking to the disciples, all the speaks to you and I. We're to be wise, what? So we are not led astray. So we are not deceived. Thus the importance of knowing the absolute totality of Scripture. 
A couple weeks ago, we just finished an adult Sunday school class that Pastor Aaron taught, intentionally designed for people to understand. It was called Deadly Doctrines. And in it, and I quote, Aaron taught about what? The fact that all of doctrine is categorized into two categories, true and false doctrine. True doctrine comes from God and leads us to worship Him. False doctrine comes from man and leads us to worship ourselves. The whole premise of the class is what? It makes our responsibility clear. Learn God's truth by searching God's Word, which means we carefully evaluate every single teaching that we ever hear to measure it against and according to God's what? Unfailing standard. Now, now, how wise and how careful are you when it comes to listening to a lot of the messages of the world and immediately measuring them against the truth of the gospel? Jesus gives a warning in a little bit more specific detail when they say, well, what's going to be the sign of this? This is the longest question Excuse me, this is the longest answer to any question that Jesus has ever asked as far as recorded. He says, what, wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, famines, birth pangs. You're like, well, Jesus, this is pretty cheery. This is a real pick-me-up, a little bit of a pessimist, don't you think? No, no, wait a minute. How many times do we hear messages in the world today that talk about the fact what all we need is just a little more love? That's it. If, if we just had, if everyone just, if we just loved one another a little bit, more, little bit more, if we could just hope for world peace, then we all can just like sit around in a big circle, we're going to hold hands in our sock feet, and we're going to count the colors of the rainbow. If there was just more love, it's all going to get better. Wait a minute. I don't see the world getting better anywhere, ever, in the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, not until the ultimate kingdom is established. This world that that we live in, and I think if you check the news out, if you're at least a little bit aware as far as what's going on around you, we live in a world that is constantly filled with what? There's, There's more fake messages. False Christ, fake messiahs, false teachers, fake prophets. And how many people are being misled? I've heard this on more than one occasion. There's a date just now. There's a new date that has come out, October the 17th or October the 21st of 2017. Jesus is going to return. And so let's, let's what? No. no. It says no one knows the day or the hour. It's not true. Whenever you hear anything like that ever, it's absolute garbage, hogwash, lies. There's nothing to it. Whenever you hear that there's a new means, a new way of salvation apart from by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know it is absolute lies. This is a big one that we hear today. Really, as long as you're sincere, as long as, you know, all roads eventually, this idea of universalism that says all roads, whether or not you're a, you're a well-meaning Hindu who has never heard the name Jesus, a, a well-meaning Buddhist, as long as they're sincere, 
This is a big one I hear all, all the time today. We see the rise of Islam all over the globe. Unbelievable. And so there's talk that there is, I don't know if you realize it or not, if you read it all through the Sunnah or the Quran, that there is a, there's a Muslim Jesus. Did you know that? And so people are talking about, well, the Muslim Jesus is really just another rendition of the, the, the Christian's Jesus. And so they're really the same. Really the same? According to the Muslim, according to the Quran, the, the Muslim Jesus, he's not the son of God. He's not God. He's man. He's a, a prophet. And he didn't die, thus he didn't rise from the dead. If he didn't die and rise from the dead, then he couldn't have rescued us from our sins. He didn't pay the price of our atonement. Instead, the Muslim Jesus was, in a sense, snatched up, taken to heaven like Elijah. And now he sits at the right hand of Allah. And Allah could send, what, any one of the prophets back, but he, at one day, in their message, is going to send the Jesus back to earth There's pieces and portions of it that sound similar. But this time when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back to correct everyone's errant thinking, those those Christians who are wrong in their ideas that Jesus died for their sins and that they can be justified and made right. That Jesus comes, he returns, and he's going to correct the bad doctrine that we're hearing. What, what, What a lie from the pit of hell. Call it what it is. That in that second return, Jesus is then going to get married and have children die and be buried next to Muhammad, the other prophets. Of, uh, do you realize that like there's similarities? And because there's similarities, let's just kind of blend them all in one. As long as you're sincere, it all washes. No! Today is the time to be wise and understand the difference. And everything is measured against God's absolute standard. In in the end times, in the last days, in the history to come, we are to be wise. Secondly, we are to be watchful. Look at verse 9. It says this, be on your guard. The, The reason is because persecutions of various and varying kinds await. In the midst of these most difficult times, persecutions and trials and accusations, all these pressures from without. In addition to that, it says what? That there's going to be a time where brother will deliver brother over to death and father's child and children will rise up against parents. Not only is there pressures without, but there's pressures from within. Families? Wait a minute. Families turning against one another and turning one another in. It sounds like a horrible, sounds like a horrifying, horrifying time. Therefore, the instruction that Jesus gives is what? Be on your guard. Be watchful. Be alert. Be aware. We would say, sleep with one eye open. This is not, this is not a be on your guard as one may think. Sometimes you have a, a, a vision or a picture of a guard with a sword in hand. Okay, in this case, translate to Big Woods lingo. Um, a nine millimeter on your hip. Now, let me, let me tell you what this text means. This may be hard for some of you to hear. But in this instruction, it does not mean under any circumstance that in order for you to, to be watchful or be on your guard, this does not give room for you to load up. 
This does not give room for you to fight back. This does not give room for you to resist. You just need to like, you got got to like have more, more bullets in your basement. That's not what it's talking about here. Instead, it says actually that you're to be watchful and to be on your guard. It means to be ready because guess what? At one particular moment, you will be delivered over to councils. And you will stand before governors and kings. And they will bring what? You to trial. And they will hand you over or deliver you over. And it falls perfectly in line with what Peter teaches us, what Peter writes in 1 Peter in chapter 3. Remember, Peter's one of those four that are listening to Jesus teach. What does Peter say? He says, in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord. Honor Christ in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. Look at the instruction that Peter says. He says, do this with gentleness and respect. Wait a minute, isn't this the same guy who like lopped off, remember, the servant? The high priest servant? Ear? Like he has a sword and he draws it and he is rebuked. And God touches and heals. We know what, when it talks about the fact that we're to be ready, it means to, 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 to say, to you and I, and to remind you and I, we are to be ready to speak with gentleness and respect about your faith in Christ. In a sense, to defend not yourself, but to defend what? Your faith. There's an entire branch of theology that we have in our church referred to as apologetics. It means what? The ability to present a historical, a reasoned, an evidential basis for Christianity, defending against its objections. And there are many objections against Christianity today. Could I ask you this? Are you, do you have the ability and the knowledge at some level? I don't think that you have to have a, 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 a PhD. I think you have to come to the place of understanding. When somebody says, yeah, well, how do you know that this Bible's true? Well, how, how do you know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? You can't quote scripture. How, how are you going to respond to someone? Do you realize that we have to understand the importance of studying scripture and searching and, and watching and listening to history unfold as God has revealed his plan and program for us in perfection? Like, what, why? like, why is this so important? Why does this matter? Why? Like, why do we have to be able to do this? Like, I just want to come to church, like, sing a song, like, feel better, and leave. Like, that's all I really want. Well, well, it matters, which is what? Connected to our third and final point. point. Not only are we to be wise, not only are we to be watchful, we're to be witnesses. You and I are called to be witnesses. It says in verse 10, the gospel must first be proclaimed to All nations, the disciples no doubt are looking for, and they are looking forward to the kingdom. Everybody wants the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, yeah, well, this is not what you think. It's actually going to get harsh. And it's going to be hard. Eleven of the twelve disciples all were martyred for their faith. 
The only one who didn't die was actually boiled to death and boiled in oil, but, but what? He didn't die, and so they put him in exile, and he died alone in a prison cell in Patmos. And so Jesus is saying, guess what? You, you, you want this. Everyone's longing for this. Everyone's looking forward to this. This is going to get a little bit difficult. But guess what? In the midst of this hardness, in the midst of this harshness, guess what? Jesus leans in and says, you get to be a witness of me. You, you will be given an opportunity to give testimony of my faithfulness and of my love. You, you'll be able to talk about the peace that exists deep within our hearts. You, you'll be able to, to respond about why is it that you have hope? Why is it that you people have hope today? Has anyone read the news? Like, it looks pretty horrific. Why is it that Christians sleep well at night? Why is it that we have hope? Why is it we have peace? Jesus says, guess what? Although there will be many who, who perhaps want to, it actually talks about the fact that, that many people will not deny. They will not run away from. I think the Apostle Paul knew something about this because he's been brought before a council or two. He certainly had a trial or two. He was certainly beaten and imprisoned. And he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Think of this, think of this. Where there is much suffering and where there is much persecution and where there is much pain, look what it says in Scripture, grace abounds. Oh, oh, study. Study our own church history. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Whoever I loaned the book to and never returned it, I'd love it back. Read, read about what first century Christians in Rome. Read about the little what? 19-year-old girl, little tiny. That, that you think she's the ultimate wallflower. She's going to melt in the midst of this pain. And she refuses to recant. Refuses to deny. Read about the reformers who suffered for their faith in the 16th century. Read about Christians suffering in the 21st century in Raqqa, Syria. Christians who are being tested and Christians who are passing the test because God's grace abounds. I love the fact that it says what? That even in that moment, when you don't know what to say, that the Holy Spirit will give you the exact do you realize that even in the most difficult times, even right now, some of you have faith, that the Holy Spirit can give to you the precise word. We can't plan for this. I, I, I can give testimony on numerous occasions in and of myself. I have nothing. I have nothing to say. I have knocked on the door of a home at 2 o'clock in the morning because I was called because a young son had just put a shotgun in his mouth and pulled the trigger. 
what, what, what words do you say to the mother? What, what, what do you say to the father in that situation? Apart from listening only to what the Holy Spirit gives. You realize in the midst of all of this heat, in the midst of all of this hatred, there is a promise. And the promise is such, what? By our testimony, the gospel will go forward to every corner of the world. And, and guess what? That is exactly what is happening at this very minute, at this very moment. The gospel is going to the ends of the earth. Like I said, there's a correlating text from Mark chapter 13 that we read in, in Matthew chapter 24. It's worded like this in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all of the nations. And then the end will come. Or what? Instead of looking for signs... Like, what's next? What's around the corner? Instead of us looking for signs, basically what? We are supposed to get busy for the spread of the gospel around the entire globe for the glory of God. I've reminded you on more than one occasion that what? There's a responsibility for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth and, and our job is what? It's either to go, it's to send, or disobey. They're your three choices. That's it. Now, many people I know are called right here to send. We're, we're called to, to stay here, to do the work of the gospel here, and support. And we hear stories of our support. And Big Woods is doing very, very well and working very diligently. And we need to listen to and learn and support the gospel going forward in places like Indonesia and churches that are being planted in Tanzania that we're helping support. We learn all the time about platforms for the gospel in Brazil and Papua New Guinea and Guinea, West Africa and Guatemala and Iraq. Every, every one of us have a responsibility. Some have chosen to go. I think of two young people that just left this week to tell people in Europe, both in France and in Germany, about the good news of Jesus Christ. Did anyone see the newspaper yesterday, the front page, the lower part of the front page of the Lock Haven Express yesterday? It talked about what one of our own, Christopher Lavalle, is he's going on his second missions trip to Guatemala this, this year. And he's a paper boy for the Lock Haven Express, so they wrote this story Listen to, listen to young Christopher, 15 years old. Listen to what it says. And it's quoted in our paper yesterday. Christopher said he's looking forward to going back a second time. And I quote, because he loved to see how eager the kids are to learn about the good news. Praise God for that. Praise God for that young man. That maybe this is preparing him to be one who goes and keeps going the ends of the earth. All of this is leading up to the second coming of Jesus. And it is important. It is important in our understanding of who the Lord is. His, his deity, His sovereignty, His accuracy to what He speaks. As I read, I was reminded this week that what the second coming of Jesus is not an optional doctrine. 
It's not like take it or leave it. Yeah, it kind of makes me a little nervous. No, it's not an option here. Believe it or not believe it. No. Church of Jesus Christ, when we think about the second coming of Jesus, we are to long for it. We are to look forward to it. We are to pray for it. But we are also to prepare for it. Now, I understand there are many varying views of the second coming of Jesus. And I'm not going to parse every one of those. All I do know is that there is only one biblical view. There's only one accurate understanding of the second coming of Jesus Christ. When we look at it, from what? A historical, grammatical, contextual explanation. What is the meaning of the text? We use the exact same rules that we always do when we interpret Scripture. And we know that the church is simply to live in anticipation of the second coming of Christ. There's no need for us to be in horror or panic about it, but we can live in complete hope and complete peace. From everything that we read and see, it is heading there. I do not believe that we are presently in the abomination of desolation. Okay, I don't believe we're in the tribulation or the great tribulation. Some people would claim that and say that. I, I don't see that. I I do see where Christ is very accurate, even in his prediction of the destruction of the temple. And we know that what that time between the first coming and the second coming, as the labor pain intensifies, so does the pain and peril of the end times. What is the last word that we are given? It says in verse 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Oh, such hope. Such, such hope. And yet, what a reminder of such urgency. I was meeting with someone this week and trying to explain the concept of eternality to them. The fact of being created in the image of God. That after that 78.8 years on average here, tens, hundreds, thousands, millions of years, thus the responsibility that we have. I'll close with this in Claire Ferguson quotes, and I, he says, Jesus will be coming soon. But when scripture speaks about him coming soon, it is measuring time on God's clock, not man's. It means that return of the Lord is now the next great event on the divine calendar. In the meantime, he is workingly working patiently for the salvation of mankind. Jesus says that we should do the same. And may we be reminded in closing of that charge, that we have a simple calling to tell people about the good news of Jesus. And it is good news in the midst of the fact that we live in a world that is filled with bad. Father, we love you. We thank you that you call us to action. Help us, Lord, in in your strength to be faithful. To be faithful as we seek to be wise and and watchful as we strive to be witnesses. Lord, give us the right words to say at the right moment. And we look forward. We look forward, Lord, to the establishment of your kingdom. Look forward, Lord, to you preserving us and protecting us. May you give us strength. Be obedient. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.